Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Hey, and that go. area code is 225. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you can just get here real easy on the telephone. Can't That's get it. too easy in a car. <laughs> well... Now, if Depends you, on where you're coming from. Yeah, if you're coming out of New Orleans, you, you're not. Oh, yeah, you're not going to be here. Well, look, when Mardi Gras hits, whoo, hey, that's it. I tell you what, you are not getting in. You're not getting out very yeah, easily. You can get around the outside, but that's about it. You can it. drive around the periphery, but you not. You, you better <laughs> just go ahead and park somewhere and try to walk on uh, in. Exactly. <laughs> so, here, give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Papa 225 for now. Reach us from wherever you may be. We sure appreciate you calling. And like every week, we try to come up with some kind of a topic or sure. whatever. But as always, anything that is on your mind, that's right. Call, never have to be limited to whatever we may be talking about at any given time. We'll answer just about any question you got, yeah. automotive related. As long as we know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> if not, we'll bumble and stumble around it. There you go. There you go. I see you got an email there. Yeah, Mr. Devine from Minneapolis sent us an email over the, the last week or so, and mm-hmm. he was considering doing some work and was wanting to know what was maintenance related and what was a repair on his vehicle okay and he had a few questions you know he had a, a few things here he was going to go ahead and change the coolant in the vehicle the vehicle's 10 years old or 12 years old and he was considering going ahead and changing the radiator while he was there mm-hmm. now would that be a repair or would that be maintenance and that's the question we're at right now hey you, <laughs> and you know there are certain parts certain components on a car that are going to fail. Sure. And it's just a matter of time. Radiator is one of them. Radiator is one of them. And traditionally, in the past, we did not think of radiators that way. No, because they were constructed different. They were made of copper or brass or whatever, and they could pretty easily last the life of the car. And really, if you had a problem, it was usually just a seam that came unsoldered. You could take it out, have the seam resoldered, have it repaired, have, have the, the core rotted out, and mm-hmm. put it back together and put it back in the vehicle. Yeah, they were made like a repairable sort of a part and designed to last pretty much the life of the car, Sure, but not so today. No. A radiator today is basically going to be an aluminum core with plastic tanks on it. Correct. And the problem with plastic, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to plastic. It's cheap for it's one light. thing. It's light. It doesn't corrode for the most part. And it is fairly durable. And they can mold it into place. There's lots of reasons why they use plastic. The problem with plastic is that when it starts to heat and cool and heat and cool like a radiator, you know, it may go from, let's say it's 25 degrees outside, and you crank the car up, well, it's going to go from 25 degrees up to about 200, maybe 212, 220 degrees. Right. And then cool back down again, and then back up again, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, hundreds and hundreds of times over its life. Well, a piece of plastic is just not going to be able to tolerate that forever. Right. It can do it for a while. And a while, in my experience, is normally between 8 and 12 12 years years, somewhere. That's generally where we see radiators fail. If they have really good care and it's a durable design, some are better than others, they may make 12 years. And I'm sure somebody can call and say, I got one that's older now. Right. Well, God bless you. You got lucky. Yep. And some people are going to call and say, well, mine was much newer than that when it went out. Like some of the Ford products have had a lot of trouble with their radiators. Sure. I remember the Expeditions. The Expeditions, I think. And some of the F-150s. The The radiators were failing around six years or so. Sure. They would flex in a certain place and must have been a bad casting or whatever it was. But they would always fail in that same area. Mm -hmm. It would crack and it would start leaking. There you go. As soon as it got pressurized. But for the most part, 
a radiator is going to fail. It's a consumable part. So because you know it's going to fail anyway, you can look at the age. You say, well, all right, I've got the coolant drained already. Maybe I've got the water pump out already. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty close. It's not a whole lot of labor extra and a lot of extra expense to go ahead and just replace this radiator now. Right, N- right, because right now you have the choice. That's right. To do it now, it won't leave you on the side of the road if you replace it now while you're doing the rest of the work. But on the other hand, if you decide, well, you know, I can't spend that extra 100 or $200 for the radiator, I'm just going to go ahead and chance it. Well, right. it goes out on the side of the road, the engine's overheating, you do run the risk of blowing a head gasket because of an overheat issue that could have been avoided by taking care of it when you did the rest of the work right it's going to be a catastrophic failure and most part it's going to be a fail to proceed type issue when this part fails Mm -hmm. so it's probably prudent to go ahead and replace it now at a reduced cost and at far more convenience sure now there are other items where that just doesn't make as much sense and we're gonna grab a phone call here real quick we'll talk about that we'll get back we got mike online good morning mike good morning gentlemen i love your show you guys are the best well thank Thank you. you I have about a million questions, but I'm trying <laughs> to narrow it down. Hopefully, I can do two. There you right. go. I have a weird situation, and it took me about three weeks to, to get my car going. I have a six-cylinder Hyundai Tucson, and I was changing the rear valve cover gasket. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you have to take off the upper surge tank. or Yeah, the intake manifold, plumb them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I've done that before to change the plugs and never had a problem. So this time, you know, I take my time, take five times longer than I should. I mm-hmm. disconnect everything beautiful, mark everything beautiful. I put it back together and I get a start, but very, very rough, you know, huffing and puffing. And it won't stay for more than five to ten seconds. Okay. I try this a dozen times. It just, no, you know, nothing better than that. So I take everything apart again. I change the gasket, thinking that there was a leak, an air, uh, intake leak or something. Mm-hmm. I put everything back together, and this time crank, no start. Crank, no start. Crank, no start. Try starter fluid. Try everything, you know, check to see if there's a spark, fuses, everything. Crank, no start. So I'm going, getting ready to t- tow this thing into the um, shop. My friend says, you know what? I was cranking it for like five to ten seconds. So okay. I didn't hurt the battery or the starter. Right. Or anything. My friend said, "You know what? Keep on cranking that thing." Oh, and I also tried it with the few, the pedal all the way to the floor to clear out any flooding right. and all that. My my friend said, "Just do it for twenty seconds. Twenty seconds, I get something, and, the, and a couple of times it would sputter to life and die. So what I had to do to get it going was." to keep on hitting the, now this is a fuel-injected car, but I had to keep on hitting the pedal like 20, 30 times, blah, 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 just to keep it enough RPM so it wouldn't stall, and finally, boom, everything's back to normal. Mm-hmm. What the heck is this? The only thing I can think of, Mike, if the valves stuck in the car for some reason, and some of the Japanese cars will do that, if the valves are sort of carboned up, under certain circumstances, particularly if it sits for a few days, like I don't know how long it took you to do the job, but I've had this where a car is running fine and then the car sits for three or four days or maybe something's done with the car and then all of a sudden it just crank, 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 won't start or runs really, really bad. That's about the only thing I can think of that would correct itself. Would be so something they, that caught. How long did you have the car down when, when you did the work? Was it down for two or three days? Well, when, well, from the first time, it was just a matter of hours. Okay. You 
Mm-hmm. And then it, I couldn't work on it until every weekend. So it'd be the first time was, you know, hours wouldn't start. How to wait till the next weekend mm-hmm. and then the next weekend. Mm-hmm. So unless something, just, you know, it just, yeah, unless something got into the cylinder and maybe caused the out. I mean, you know, if you're spraying starter fluid in, it still doesn't start. It doesn't sound like a fuel problem because generally it's going to at least try, try to, start. to start. You know, if you spray starter fluid in there, it, it's got enough explosive liquid right. to at least fire off. And you said you kind of checked the ignition the best you could and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. that just sounds like stuck valves to me. And I have seen this occur and then clear up and never occur again. Never occur again. I know there are some of the GM products that use the imported engines that do that also. We had a little, I think, what was that the other day? Saturn or something, wasn't it? No, this was a, uh, oh, that little Aveo or something like that, little Korean gm car i remember it there I know. and there was a bulletin on that one and basically they suggested drawing some cleaner through and seeing if that worked if that didn't work at pull heads but the valves can stick in them on a certain circumstance because the springs and all are so weak and flimsy by comparison to what they used to have and i don't know what brings it on but that's the only thing mike that i can think of that would sort of correct itself and go back to running fine without doing anything else would be if for some reason those stuck you know, you might read up stuck valves on the internet, and there are some remedies. Some people say suck some injector cleaner through the intake and all these sorts of things. As long as it's done properly and carefully, you're not going to harm the car. And that may very well clear it up. But I just can't think of anything else that would come back to life like that and, and disable a car with, with all the things that you're saying. Yeah. Well, I figured if anybody would have an idea, it would be you. Mm-hmm. So, uh Thanks on that. And, and let me get to my second, if you don't mind. Sure. O3 F-150 V6, and this is a common issue with these Fords. They got the, I got the lean on bank one and two, mm-hmm. the PO-171 and 174. Right. Mm-hmm. I know the list of things, but in your opinion, what is the order that you would troubleshoot this issue? I'd be looking for a vacuum leak. Yeah, most of the time what we're seeing is vacuum leak. A lot of time the intake gaskets will leak on them. Mm-hmm. And if you got access to fuel trim readings where you can read the fuel trim, look at your fuel trim and see if they're, if it's adding a whole bunch of fuel and if it's on one bank or both banks or whatever it is. That'll give you a little bit more insight. The other thing you can do, and you got to be really careful with this. I hate to give this over the air, but if, as long as you're pretty judicious with it, you can take something like some carburetor cleaner and very carefully spray it around the base of the intake with the motor running and see if the engine speeds up because it'll draw that in and it'll speed the engine up because you add an additional fuel to the engine. Other than, I actually bought a, I bought a can of smoke like for, to test fire alarms. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about trying to introduce that into a vacuum hose. What do you think of that? If you it's, can get it to stay in there, we use a smoke machine, but a lot of times what it'll do is just come pumping out of the I mean, throttle body and stuff. Yeah, running, you're not going to find it that way if it's running. Yeah, you can't use it running, obviously. You'd have, but, to, fill the, you'd have to fill the engines without but, it running and block off the uh, throttle body. And try to keep it in there and see if it comes out. Okay. But you might also check like the airflow meter. If it's if it's peculiar to one bank or the other, I would suspect more likely it's going to be a vacuum leak. If it's peculiar to both banks equally, I would be looking at something like the airflow meter, make sure it's not dirty, because a dirty airflow meter can disturb the air fuel mixture. And what it'll do is it'll start adding additional fuel or subtracting fuel because the airflow is not matching the amount of fuel it's putting in there. And it's going to interpret that as a lean or a rich condition, even though it's really not. 
Now, does it cheaper OBD readers have the fuel trim, or you need a pretty good one? You some probably, do, some don't. Yeah, you're probably going to have to have something a little better than just a code reader to get to that. That's all in mode six, I believe. Uh, a lot of that you can get right off the data stream okay. on a Ford. Yeah, we've got, got the a, right tool. Yeah, we got the Ford, uh, was it MPI? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember the name. <laughs> we got the regular Ford scan tool, and right. it gives you all that. You know, it's just live data. I'm sure the better scan tools will read live data, and you can get the fuel trim, and you can see if it's one bank or two banks and how much fuel it's adding. And you can even see, like, if it's adding more when it's cold or if it's adding more when it's hot and that sort of thing, which gives you a lot more insight into what you're looking for. But those are the things that are going to affect fuel trim. Now, one other thing you don't want to overlook, you might just check the fuel pressure and make sure fuel pressure is good because if fuel pressure drops, it's going to start leaning the engine out considerably. And if it goes up, it's going to rich in the engine. But that one uses an electronic sensor. It's not a regulator. It has a returnless system. But it's like if that sensor is reading improperly, it may drop fuel pressure. Or if fuel pump is bad, it can drop fuel pressure. And it's going to start leaning out like that. And you're going to have to be within two or three PSI of the specification for that engine. Yeah. It, it can't be a whole lot low at right. all. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Always appreciate it. All right, Mike. Thanks right, for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. So, Madame Babushka, you can tell if my brand-new bow and mirror are a good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you got a question or a comment about the show, why don't you go give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. Get you right straight up to us. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning, you can always go to the website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. The little form is going to pop up. Just fill it out with your information of the vehicle you're working on and the problem you're having and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And we were talking just a little bit about some of the differences between maintenance items and and repairs, per se. Another thing that occurs to me is, like, if you're doing a timing belt replacement, you've got the timing cover off. You've probably got some of the motor mounts off. I mean, it's generally a little difficult to get to. It's a fairly major ordeal to get to this. Now, while you're there, for the most part, the water pump is also right in the same area. Right. The labor to get to it is there. Mm -hmm. You're going in there to change the belt anyway. Right. So when you get to the point like you're talking about, the little bit of extra labor to go ahead and change these few pieces is well worth it. Well, and again, with a water pump on a timing belt, type vehicle many times if the pump fails it's a catastrophic failure it's not like 
on an old VH Chevrolet. The water pump went bad. It's sitting right there on the front of the motor. You just change it. No big deal. It doesn't really hurt a whole lot. The belt actually drives the water pump. The belt may drive the pump, and if the pump seizes up, the belt can jump and jump timing. If it leaks, at very least, it's going to leak all over your brand-new belt. Right. And the old belt had a certain amount of tension on it and all that. When you release that tension, then certain dynamics take place. And then when you retighten the new belt, certain things happen. So if you've got an old pump with a lot of miles, you put a new belt on it, it's fairly common for those to fail not too long thereafter. And yep. now you're doing the whole job again. So that would be an instance where you would want, while you're there, change the belt, change the tensioner, change the idler pulleys, the cam seals, the crank seal, mm-hmm. the outside belts, because all that stuff is the same age. It's all apart anyway. Failure would be catastrophic. Sure. It'd be expensive, and it would be very expensive to come back and, and address very low cost to do right now. Exactly. Another example might be if you're replacing the engine in the car, you might want to look real hard at the engine mounts. Sure. I mean, the engine's off the mounts. Everything's out of the way. They're real accessible now that the engine's gone. Right. So now would be the time to go ahead and change that mount if it looks any weak at all. Yeah, because it's going to be real hard to come back and do. And do yourself a favor. Get you a good mount, yeah. a, a factory mount. Some of this aftermarket mounts we found are just, they're junk. They last well, about six months. They either don't last or many times you can't get the motor back in the car because they they're not, they're not made, made right. right. Yeah, you, just, you sit there and fight for three days trying to get the engine line back up. And then when you do finally get it in there, it's it got a real vibrate, wicked vibration. Yeah, yeah, vibrates and carries on and all that. So... All of these kinds of things are things that is way less expensive to do right now. Now, there's also items where it maybe just doesn't make as much sense. Mm-hmm. For instance, let's say you're changing the engine in the car again, just because we're talking about that. Would it be prudent to go ahead and replace the alternator? Well, not really, because most alternators are pretty accessible anyway. Right. It's not a big deal to come back. On most vehicles. On most vehicles. Now, there are some that the alternator is buried underneath the motor, mm-hmm. and you practically have to pull the engine to get it out. Right. Now, That's in, in that sense, case, I would say let's go ahead and put an alternator right. on Right. What we're looking at is overall lowest cost. Correct. Words, we're going to say, okay, this thing traditionally lasts this long. Nobody can predict exact, but you can say about. So if it's got 250,000 miles, you know it's probably close to the end of its life. Now, if it's sitting right on top of the engine... Hey, let's just wait and see. Sure. Because it's easy it, to get to. it may last another 250,000 miles, and it's easy to change later. There's no big savings doing it now. Correct. Other hand, like you mentioned, let's say it's under the motor, and you got to practically take the motor back out of the car. Well, now it the load all shifts a different way. Sure. So there are gray areas like that. Some things are going to be, yes, you definitely do. Some things are going to be gray, and there's some things you probably just wouldn't do at all. Mm-hmm trying to think of some of the stuff that you just would not change when you're in there. Your one thing might be, say, an aluminum intake manifold on a car. You're just not going to change that because they hardly ever give problem unless it's corroded or there's a reason you would just reuse that. Sure. Because it's Make just, sure it's clean and reuse it. Right. Because you get to the point where you say, well, but it's got 250. Well, every part of the car has 250,000 miles. Right. There's so n- there's, new, there's no moving parts in this intake manifold right. per se. So it's just a piece of cast aluminum that's mm-hmm. sitting there flowing air back and forth. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's going to go bad in that intake unless it gets dropped while it's out the vehicle mm-hmm. or it gets broke getting put back in. Right. There's no reason to change it. Well, in that case, it turns to a repair. You, you have, you've, it's been damaged, so it would so have to be replaced. Right. 
Now, if it were a plastic intake, again, you would have to look at the history of the car. You know, if I were doing a GM 3.8 liter with a plastic intake and it had more than 100,000 miles. It's getting an intake. It's getting an intake. Sure. Just because those have a huge failure rate. and There was an updated part to replace the first generation of those. Yeah, well, that was on the Fords particularly, like on the 4.6 Ford, liter yeah, Ford, Ford, you had the, the intake would split across the front. Right. And it's kind of silly not to replace that one. But let's say you've got one of the ones that does not give any trouble, like the aluminum intakes or even some of the plastic intakes. They remade that intake and upgraded it with an aluminum cross piece, where mm-hmm. that one, the old plastic one, had the, the plastic piece across right. it that would break open. Yeah, and on the GM, I think they changed where the EGR valve came through because the EGR tube would get too hot and right. it would melt the intake. Right. So there are just all sorts of little shades of gray in between there. But for the most part, what you're trying to do, if something has a high failure rate or a high predicted failure rate in the near future, or if the cost of coming back is going to be so excessive, or if failure means an imminent breakdown. Because other items that failure is not really necessarily a killer. You Say an AC compressor. If the AC compressor is right on the side of the motor, fairly easy to get to, we just move it out of the way, replace what we replace, and put it right back, back on. Because of, it may last the life of the car. And a lot of times you don't you don't have to even break into the system. You can just right. unbolt the compressor from the engine and remove the engine, leave the compressor all hooked up, charged, and everything. Right. And for the most part, the AC compressor is not going to disable the car. No. I mean, unless the clutch right. locks up, which there is There are a certain whole, circumstances. Yeah, almost anything can disable the car <laughs> under some circumstances. But most things like that, you just have right. to use some common sense there. So it's... A big, big, big topic. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We've got to go ahead and take our second break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome. I am the great fondue automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Craig Fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quick lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you're into us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We're talking a little bit about the difference in maintenance and repairs and such as that. And, of course, we'll take a call on any topic you might have. It brings to mind things like maintenance items. There are certain things that, I don't know, some shops will tout a repair as a maintenance item mm-hmm. and maybe vice versa. But, for instance, an example of that, you change the coolant in your engine at certain point, primarily based on years of right. use and somewhat on pH and all these sorts of things, that is a maintenance item. A maintenance item might be defined as something that does not cost a whole lot that prevents something that does cost a whole lot. 
Okay. That's the reason for doing maintenance. It's cheaper right. than not doing it. Right. You know, we would change the oil in our car because it protects way more expensive things. And the only reason we change oil is because it's less expensive than, than not changing repair. the oil. You know, than an engine repair or a new motor would right. be. Same thing with the coolant. Changing the coolant is less expensive than changing the heater core or changing the intake gasket or changing the head gasket or changing the radiator or all the other things, a core plug that started leaking and all these sorts of things. So maintenance might be defined as something we do to save money. A okay. repair is something we do that's necessitated by a breakdown. So certain things are maintenance, certain things are repairs, and we'll come back to that in just a bit. We've got Sid online. Good morning, Sid. Yes, my sticker on the door says my tire size should be 195.60, and I got a heck of a deal on 195.65.15. What's the difference between the 60 and the 65? A 60 is 60% as tall as it is wide. A 65 is 65% as tall as it is wide. So it's going to be a taller tire. By how much? Well, Uh, you'd have to do math. You got to get the width of it and multiply by 65%. Or you can go to my website. There's a calculator that'll tell you exactly. But it's just a tiny fraction. Could be a significant yeah. amount. Yeah, and you're better off to stay with the right size tire. Okay. But I mean, if you want to go on my website, type in the two, the two different size tires. It'll tell you the exact difference and how much it'll affect your speedometer and all that sort of thing. Sometimes it's significant. It depends on the width of the tire and it depends on the height of the tire and all that because of percentage. But if it's a 260, say, say it's a two. Let's say 235, 75, 15. The 235 means 235 at the widest section of the cross-section. 75 means it's 75% as tall as it is wide. And, of course, 15 is the rim mm-hmm. diameter. So you'd have to do the math. And, you know, th- there's a calculator on there. You just type in two tires. It'll compare them and tell you how much difference there is in them. Sometimes it's not a whole lot. Sometimes it's pretty significant. Mighty fine. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And, you know, when you substitute a tire size, it depends a lot on how new the vehicle is. Some of the older vehicles, it didn't it make didn't too much. much. It's going to throw your speedometer off. Right. And you could kind of, as long as you knew how much it was off and which way it was off, it wasn't too big a deal. Some of the newer cars, it can really interfere with some stuff. Trash control can be affected. Sure. And, you know, it's da 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 All that is mm, relative to the tire size that was designed to go on the car. Right. So when you start changing the diameter of the, the wheel and the tire, you start change all the calculations messing the calculations where that is really super 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 critical is on an all-wheel drive car and if you're not changing all the tires if you make a substitution on that car you may very well do some major major damage to the car even a new tire versus a a almost worn out tire yeah they recommend changing all four tires on the all-wheel drive cars at the same time of course everything is a matter of degree if you got three tires with ten thousand miles you put a new one you're probably not gonna have too much trouble but there if you got three tires that are just about worn out and you put a new one, you may have trouble. Sure. And if you put a different tire size, you You're really almost definitely will have trouble. <laughs> exactly. Let's go back to our phone lines with CJ. Good morning, CJ. Uh, good morning. How are you today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I was listening to your program, and you mentioned about the coolant, mm-hmm. about the pH. Yes, sir. In the coolant. At what pH level does the coolant get toxic to the system? Well, anything below 7, new coolant is going to have alkalinity. It has reserve alkalinity. Brand new coolant is going to measure somewhere around 8 to 8.5, depending on what brand it is. Because everything in the combustion process tends to make it more alkaline, excuse me, more acidic. When it reaches 7, it's neutral. That means all the reserve alkalinity has been used up. So anything at or near 7 is going to be pretty close to depleted. And that's not an ironclad, black-and-white rule. 
you have to take it with some common sense. In other words, if the coolant was changed six months ago and the pH is around seven and a half, I wouldn't be too concerned. If it's been three years and the pH is at seven, I would say let's change yeah. it. Is there any device that an individual can buy to measure that pH? Well, yeah, you can get a test strip. They make little test strips that Just are like, like, pull, a, like, like a litmus paper. Mm-hmm. You got to watch. Available locally? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Most auto parts stores, good auto parts stores are. You just got to read the instructions carefully because pH is very difficult to get an accurate reading on. If the coolant is hot when you check it or cold when you check it, it has to be the right temperature. And also because coolant has so many different colors, it can affect the litmus paper results. So you have okay. to adjust for all of that. And then there are some devices that will measure pH directly, some electronic devices, but they're kind of fragile, sometimes expensive. But, you know, most shops are going to have the means to check that. Uh, and, and that's part, like at AGCO, that's our part of our general inspection. We check that for you. Okay. Well, that, that, that's my major question. I appreciate the All program, right. and you have a good day. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. And coolant is one of those things that the miles do not seem to affect it a great deal. It's more of the age. The age, because the chemical reaction occurs 24-7, and over time it depletes. Let's say I've seen recommendations change the coolant at 100,000 miles, but let's say you put 100,000 miles in six months. That coolant would still look almost like brand new. Yep. It's only six months old. It hasn't had time to deteriorate. But on the other hand, let's say we've got a car we don't drive much. It's only got 20,000 miles, but it's six years old. That coolant will be 100% depleted and probably eating the cooling system up. Sure. So miles are not a good indicator. It's more time on that. Some things time affects. Some things miles affect. Some things both, both. affect. Right. If, for instance, spark plugs really don't care about time. No. They can be 20 years old. If they're not sitting there running, they're not being used. If they're not fired, you know, they can fire so many times and so many miles. So something like a spark plug would strictly be miles. Sure. Something like coolant is really more time. Same thing with a timing belt on a car. I find the time does affect it more, although miles are also a factor. So mm-hmm. it's both. But every timing belt I've ever seen break is because it was too old, right? not because it had too many miles on it. You know, I've seen them pushed out. Let's say they recommend it 90,000 miles or seven years. I've seen them go five years and have 150,000 miles and not break. And I've seen them go 10 years and only have 30,000 miles and, and break. break. <laughs> yep. So the, some things age is more important. Some things time is more important. What you need to do is look at your owner's manual or take it in to someone you know and trust. Have a general inspection, which is a lot simpler. That's the reason we invented the general inspection at ACO because it's so difficult to read through all this cryptic information and understand what's going to be time-related, what's, what's going to be miles-related, what's going to be a combination of both, and to keep up with all this. Right. Much simpler just to bring it in once a year, and that way you're not ever going to be that far behind. And, again, it's just like we were explaining with maintenance and repair. The only reason to do this is because it's going to save you money. Right. It's going to protect things that are going to cost more if you have a breakdown. Right. There's no reason to do anything to a car that is not either going to make the car more enjoyable for you or save you money. Correct. That's the reason you do things. You know, you don't service a transmission because you want to. You don't service the transmission because it's going to make the car run better. You service transmission to prevent a transmission failure. Exactly. Or to lessen the odds lessen of a transmission odds. failure. Now, it doesn't mean because you do this, it will not fail. It just means the odds are better that it will not. 
Well, and you also have some insight when, when you do this. You have some insight into what's going on inside the unit. That's right. When you take the pan down, if there's little chunks of snap ring or something in there, you know you don't have very long in this unit. Well, you're getting close to the end, and let's say this is a car you depend on. Right. Let's say this is a car you go out of state in a lot. Well, now, now you've got the option to do it at your convenience. Right, or go trade the car. Or get if, rid of if it. If that be your choice. So there are things that, like I said, are going to be maintenance-related. There are things that will be repair-related. You know, another example of a repair might be like the water pump on a regular car where it's not driven by the timing belt. Right. It's sitting on the outside. It's, it's right there on the outside. Most of the time, they don't catastrophically fail. They'll start leaking or something. Right. Start squeaking, making noise. So there's generally some warning. And it's one of those things you can get to from the outside. So that would be a repair. You would Correct. do that on an as-needed basis. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. Good yes, morning. I've got an 08. Chevy Silverado, fault code PO121, I believe, mm-hmm. indicated, uh, re- my research indicated TPS bad. Okay. Bought one, put it on, goes for a while, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I guess that's one of those systems, the computer checks periodically, yes. the light comes mm-hmm. back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a- anything else I might be able to Oh, do? yeah, yeah, that has been a fairly problematic thing on there and because that light comes on and says tps it doesn't say tps is bad what it says tps is not correlating and it could be the accelerator pedal sensor is not reading right and tps is not correlating with it very very often it's one of the connectors is loose on it and when it runs it's checked the voltage because what it's doing it's reading five volts it's two sensors in the throttle by two on the pedal it reads five volts on one and zero on the other as you accelerate those reverse each other they have to yeah. cross in the center. If anything interferes with any of that, it's going to throw that code, and under certain circumstances, it will shut the throttle down. It won't allow you to accelerate anymore. It'll put you in right. a reduced power. Yeah, reduced power mode. But it's, Yeah, and we're not experiencing any Right, of it's going to be right. pretty difficult for you to diagnose that yourself. You're just going to have to throw parts at it until you hit it, unless you've got some really sophisticated stuff. Because even in the shop, with all the stuff we've got, Sometimes we can catch it on a GM scan tool. We can watch the correlation and see it mess up. If not, right. you have to put a lab scope or something on there and watch Actually it. And if it's intermittent, it can be really, really difficult. But I can tell you some of the most common things we do on those is the connectors, uh, particularly the connector at, at the, the throttle, throttle body and sometimes the connector at the accelerator pedal. We've also changed a number of accelerator pedals. You can even have a dirty throttle body can cause that problem. If the throttle body blade is dirty and it kind of sticks a little bit when that motor tries to open it, it can throw that sure. code. So okay. it, it can be yeah. kind of difficult to diagnose, you know, unless you have a lot of wherewithal and you just want to throw a whole bunch of parts at it. Yeah. Now, be, um, be very well, careful. And, be very careful ahead. with that throttle body. Yeah. If you try to clean it, make sure the engine is off and the key is in right. your pocket. And do not try not to stick your fingers in there. Because yeah. that motor controls that blade, and if it decides to close while your fingers are in it, it's yeah. going it, to. It don't care. It don't, yeah. <laughs> but, but you're not telling me that the car would try to close the throttle body. Oh yeah, when yeah. It's not yeah. on. Oh yeah. No, if it's on, if you got the key, you got in, the key it or in your pocket, like that, yeah, you got the key in your pocket, it won't. But yeah, there's been more than one mechanic doing a dance around the shop with his finger stuck in a throttle body. Believe me. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Well, and I recall, and I'm looking up underneath there right now. I'm outside. Mm-hmm. I recall a while back, and I don't recall, you know, my wife's had this truck since it was new in 08. Mm-hmm. I did change years ago, years and years ago, and I'm not quite sure what prompted it, 
But I changed some type of. I'm looking at. I don't know what it's called. The on the accelerator pedal, there mm-hmm. is a sensor. you know a little, this little and it's got a GM part number and yeah. all that kind accelerator of thing. Accelerator pedal sensor. All right. Yeah, and so I did change that years ago. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I don't just walk around changing parts. So right. something prompted that. Right. And then it fixed it and corrected it. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that and the TPS kind of work hand in yes. hand. So yes, they have to so correlate. Even though. And there's also the research and there's also a module. There's an accelerator pedal module on most of those. Say that again, if you want. Uh, accelerator pedal module on most of those. Yeah. Up on the firewall somewhere. I'm not sure where it is on that particular model, but some of them have that. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, you really got to have a fair amount of tooling and information to diagnose that problem. It's one of the harder problems to diagnose. If you just want to try something, I would try the connector at the throttle body because that's the most common failure we see particularly right. if it's ever been fooled with like if anyone's ever taken it off like change the sensor and put it back on each right. time you move it sometimes a little rubber o-ring will get caught and cut and then moisture will get into it sometimes just right. the blades will get loose even the accelerator pedal connector you know if you change the sensor once before maybe yeah. the little rubber o-ring fell out when you did it you didn't notice it it fixed the problem but then over the years moisture got into it and corroded the connector i mean these are the right. kinds of things we see right well i was wondering when i put the tps on mm-hmm. because the it's got a slot in it that the throttle body the uh, and it's hard to explain but the little part that kind of sticks outside of the throttle body little drive out, uh-huh that it has to go into that slot on the TPS to make sure that, you know, and so then you put the clip, the five or six clips around it to, you know, put it all back together. And it's like, well, how do you know that you have that little part that sticks out that goes into the TPS in there? Because that's what's going to, as the, you know, you you got the mechanical that's going to convert to the electrical. Well, and the answer is you got to have a GM scan tool to read the voltage on it at idle and wide open throttle, and that'll tell you if it's it's synced properly. Yeah, Yeah, if that's out of sync, it'll also set the light, even though you you may have fixed the problem, and that may be a little bit off sync. But, yeah, Yeah. that can definitely do that. But you have to have some type of instrumentation that can read that and make sure that it is reading correctly in relation to the throttle. Yeah. Well, let me ask you without you telling, you know, I'm not asking you mm-hmm. how much do you charge and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But in general, uh, I've worked on cars. I'm 61 now. I've mm-hmm. worked on cars since I was 18 with right. my dad and stuff. And it sounds like, you know, you did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And um, But is that one of those things that, oh, y'all can readily Pretty easily. By putting it on your scopes and all that yeah. kind of stuff? And, Generally, you know. it's going to be somewhere around an hour to diagnose a yeah. problem like that. And yeah. most shops are going to charge between probably a hundred hundred twenty dollars an hour so you know mm-hmm. s- somewhere in that range yeah yeah okay that sounds good all right Wait, i'm gonna try one more time as a do-it-yourself or yeah well like i said you. you might just try changing that connector at throttle body that's the number one repair we do on them and it does fix a lot of them it's not too expensive and fairly yeah. easy to do and it's probably gonna need doing anyway sooner or later yeah i appreciate it thank all right. you all so much for all right Hosting a show like this for us do-it-yourselfers and stuff. There you go, David. Appreciate welcome. it. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Take our final little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. 
So, Madame Babushka, you can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on a couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Ah, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And we have just a few minutes to get you a live answer. That's right. And after that, you're going to go to the hit, website. Hit us on the site if you need <laughs> something. Yeah, we were discussing maintenance and all these sorts of things. And it seems to me at least about once a week or so, someone will email and say, well, you know, I've never done da, 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 and I've never had trouble. Uh-huh. And what you're talking about there is a sample of one. Out of millions. Out of millions. And you could do you could make that argument for anything in the world. Sure. In other words, I could say, here's a guy, he's four hundred pounds overweight, and he's never had heart problem. He lived to be ninety five years old and had pretty good quality of life. Well, that's great. He was lucky. Yeah. But if we looked at the average a hundred thousand people who are four hundred pounds overweight and look at a hundred thousand people who are not, the ones who are not are generally gonna have a much better life not have as many health issues and all that. Right. And, of course, we could make the same parallel with smoking or drinking or just about anything sure. else. Anything you want. And it's the same exact thing with automotive maintenance. You know, there is that guy out there. He never, never changes his all. He adds a little bit every once in a while when the light comes on. Puts gas in it and goes. Drives, and he goes 150,000 miles. Right. And throws the car away and buys another one. Okay, well, he got lucky, or that's just the way he wants to operate. Uh-huh. But for the most part, the people who do what they call run to fail, as opposed to the people who maintain their vehicle, are going to spend a lot more money, have a lot more breakdowns, a lot less reliable car, and the car will be a lot less at the time they get rid of it. Sure. And again, there's always one person who's not going to fit into that category. I remember when I was studying statistics, they introduced to a bell-shaped curve, and Almost everything in the world follows a bell-shaped curve. Mm-hmm. Most of the things are in the middle at the top of the bell, but as you go out, you know there are some that are going to be at the bottom of that bell. If you feel really, really lucky, then that's fine. But again, we said earlier, there's only one reason to maintain the car, and that's because it's less expensive than not maintaining it. Than a major repair. Yeah, we're not doing this to impress anybody. We're not doing this because we enjoy it. Right. We're not doing this necessarily to make the car run better in most cases you know if i replace the spark plugs in my 2008 chevy pickup with 110,000 miles you're not going to notice any it's difference probably not going to notice any difference it's going to still run the same but what it's going to do is keep you from burning up the call packs because the computer was boosting the duty cycle on these calls to fire these worn out plugs it won't run any different it won't idle rough you won't lose fuel mileage it's going to run just the same 
So why do it? Well, you're doing it to prevent something that's way more expensive. Right. Those calls can cost upwards of $100 to $200 a $100 to $150 a piece times eight. Right. Exactly. So do the numbers, and you still got to change the plugs. Right. Because the plugs are the major problem. The, the problem. plug is what caused the problem. Some cars more susceptible than others. I know right. Fords will oh, generally start oh, burning up calls even before the recommended mileage. Right. Some of your Nissan products have a lot of trouble burning up calls. Uh, General Motors, not uh, not so much. Don't see a lot of problems with calls, except there's there's one or two of their engines. That little inline six-cylinder engine. I forget what vehicles they use. It's some of the little SUVs. Oh, yeah, yeah, the 4.2. Yeah, so the little 4.2, we've had to change some calls on some of those. Right. They tend to burn up calls if you don't replace that, the That's plugs. a straight six. Yeah, a little inline six-cylinder. Yeah. But like on the V6 and the V8 models, Very just, rarely. I yeah, mean, they use a really robust call on that. I think we changed one the other day on a 5.3 liter Chevrolet. I think that's the first one I can, can ever can remember. Yeah, ever remember changing, and I don't remember the circumstances. In fact, I remember when Chris came up and told me the calls. But I'm like, like, are well, you sure? <laughs> he says, believe me. It, yeah. yeah, I believe me. He says, I crossed the calls in, in a misfire move. So. We changed call and fixed it. Right. But that is just very, very, very rare on that particular vehicle. It is. But, again, that's the reason why you do this. You know, when you change the coolant in your engine, that car's not going to run one bit better. Nope. It's going to run exactly like it did the day before. Yep. And the only reason we're doing it is to try to prevent some of the damage that the corrosion occurs and causes that costs so much more than changing the coolant. To repair later down the line. You might do to say the same thing with, like, power steering fluid. Or even a belt on the outside, like a serpentine belt. The reason we change the serpentine belt, it's not going to run better when you change it, but if it is slipping very slightly, it could end up burning up an AC compressor. Sure. Because it's generating heat, because it's slipping. Slipping is friction. Friction builds heat. Heat burns up parts. Or should it break, if you, breaks, lose, you lose the water pump, power steering, alternator, and air conditioning. That's in right. In most cases. The vehicle will be disabled. Sure. And we know that it's going to fail at some point. Right. It's a rubber component. Yeah. I mean, and it's made of rubber. Again, the belt is one of those things that follows time, I find, more, more than, than the miles. Mm -hmm. Although miles are an effect. You know, if it's got 150,000 miles, I don't care how long it is, I would change it. Right. Just because it does wear out. But the dry rot portion of it, where the adhesive start to break down, is over time. So, for the most part, if it's seven years old or older, I would I'd change be looking it. at changing e it, yeah. Regardless of the miles, even if you got extremely low miles on the car, you know, if that belt is that old, I would go ahead and change it just because you know it's going to break, and if it breaks, it's going to be catastrophic. Sure, it's going to leave you. It's just way less expensive to go ahead and replace the thing now and not have to worry about all those things. So that falls under a maintenance category. Correct. The only other thing I can think of, some of the starters now are under the intake manifold. Uh, Toyota, preferably. Right. You might want to look, if you got really high mileage and you have the intake off, you might want to look at that. Sure. Hey, I see we're totally out of time. we got to get on out here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service. Find a written review and fill it out for That's us. That's right. Get more people listening. We can do the show and everything. Everybody be happy. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.